How many of you have been going to our small groups, our home groups? Yeah, great. Me too. I've been going. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm not sure which one I am. Maybe I'm the, I don't know, but uh, anyway, it's great to be here this morning. I love the Carolinas. I read recently where a guy from uh, Minnesota said he loved Minnesota, but he wondered, really, is it worth spending six months trying to stay warm every year? And I thought, no. (laughs) Anyway, awesome, awesome. Well, we are studying the book of Matthew. We've been on it for a number of months. Uh, Several weeks ago, I started with what would basically be a part one on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Andy did, uh, Andy Squires did um, two weeks on the parable of the sower, which was really good, which is also a kingdom parable. And so this is basically my kingdom of God part two. And um, we'll probably stay I know I will. We jump around a little bit, but I'm going to stay on this topic here for a while because it's so important. Um, The Jews expected the Messiah to kick the Romans out of their world, but when the Messiah came, he wanted to kick the world out of the Jews. That's, you know, not that the Jews were any worse than anybody else. Probably in a lot of ways they were, they're actually better, the morality code and all the things they did, but they did not understand what Jesus was really trying to do. Um, the law, which obviously directly connected that concept and, and also the fact of the law with the Jewish people is um, the, the idea was you could change people from the outside in. If you gave them the rules on the outside, they could figure out how to change. And it, it, how many of you know that hasn't worked that well for thousands of years? And so what Jesus wanted to do and what he has done, what he's made provision for, and this is a basic concept of the kingdom is he, he is changing people from the inside out. And, um, the problem with changing people from the outside in is they don't change. The problem with changing people from the inside out is they start changing, but it's usually pretty uh, pretty ugly <laughs> along the way. And um, But that's pretty cool. Uh, why should we explore this subject of the kingdom of God? Well, it's used either the term kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is mentioned a hundred times in the New Testament, so it's obviously very, very significant. John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostles, the apostle Paul, and those that he sent out preached the gospel of the kingdom as their primary message. And so if we don't have an interest in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, uh, we're really missing the whole point of what Jesus came to do. And one thing we're going to recognize is as this kingdom changes us, we actually, it, it, what it really does, it initiates like an inside out culture. How we treat one another, how we treat ourselves, all that sort of thing happens. If we're really seriously involved in this kingdom. And so what I was going to do this morning, I was going to talk about a number of different aspects of this kingdom through various different verses of scripture. And then I wanted to look at two, um, two parables here at the end that I think will help bring it home and really help us. So, um, Jesus prayer instructions in Matthew six ten we find this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we say that together? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, this is like the company prayer. If you're a Christian, that's the company you're in, company people. I'm not talking about finance or business. But this was what Jesus, 
this is a key ingredient or part of basically the only specific articulated prayer Jesus left us. So we have to assume it's important. So part of what your calling is, is to pray this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next thing I want us to look at is, what is the Father's good pleasure? What does God really want to do? Luke twelve thirty two says, Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then one of the most um, important verses about the kingdom of God, Matthew six thirty three, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And the things that were under discussion here in Matthew 6 were everything you needed for your life to live. Let's say that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what happens? All these things shall be added to you. So you can see how significant this idea is about, about the kingdom of God. First of all, it was what we were instructed to pray. We're to pray the reality of what goes on in heaven to be how we live and what we experience here in the earth. Then we find out it's the Father's good pleasure. It's a gift. Then we find out that if we set ourselves in our hearts to seek first this kingdom and the righteousness that comes with it, everything we need shall be given to us. How many of you like that promise? Matthew 6, 33, that's a tremendous promise. You could ask yourself, well, what is the kingdom of God that I'm seeking? Well, it says in Romans, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, one of, one of the tricky things about the kingdom is it's given, but is it received? Say that with me. It's given, but is it received? In other words, God can have, uh, God can give us something and it's there and it's available like salvation, the gospel. But until it's received, you don't really experience the reality of this kingdom. And there are preconditions. How many of you went to college and you wanted to take Math 201, but in order to take Math 201, you had to take Math what? 101. What was 101 called to get to 201? A prerequisite, a precondition. To get to where you wanted to go, you had to have a precondition, you had to fulfill a precondition. Well, we have to fulfill a precondition to perceive and to access the kingdom of God. And we find this John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Now, we have a problem. People have assumed that that meant have like a vision of it or see the pearly gates when you die or some, and I'm not taking, actually there are, you know, there are pearly gates. We're going to talk about them in a minute. You know, every one of the 12 gates in the city God's going to dwell in that lands in the earth, each gate's a pearl. And it's a significant thing. So, but pearly gates is like redneck, goofy Christianity talk, right? But I mean, you know, cause it doesn't make any sense. It's just like a hillbilly something. I'm sorry. But anyway, there are preconditions for perceiving and accessing the kingdom of God. And Jesus covers these in John chapter 3. Now, I'm going to actually go into John chapter 3 in detail in a couple of weeks because I think it is grossly misunderstood. I was driving down the highway out in the country, and over on the side of the road was a 4 by 8 sheet of plyboard. And the 4 by 8 sheet of plyboard said, you cannot go to heaven when you die unless you are what? You cannot go to heaven when you die unless you are born again. 
The only problem was Nicodemus did not come to Jesus saying, how can I know I'll go to heaven when I die? That was when Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Then he said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. What was Nicodemus asking Jesus? And we'll go through this, and this is very important. He was asking Jesus, how do you live the way you live, and how do you do the things you do? And Jesus said, to live the way I live, to do the things I do, you need to be born from the same place I was born from. You need to be born again to access or enter the kingdom I demonstrate to you that has so captured your imagination. How many of you are with me so far? Yeah, Nicodemus didn't come say, how do we, how, how can we be assured we'll go to heaven when you die? Well, you must be born again to enter the pearly gates. You must be born again to see that great city builder, maker, when you buy a die, and Peter's there and lets you in or keeps you out. Now, I'm making fun of that, but there's some truth to it, but no. Do I believe you must be born again to go to heaven when you die? Yes, I do. Of course I do. Jesus covers that later in the chapter. But we have got to understand that unless you are born from above, you do not perceive this kingdom and you cannot access what is in that kingdom. That see the kingdom Jesus was talking about. That's know the kingdom Jesus was talking about. That's enter the kingdom Jesus was talking about. That's access the kingdom Jesus was talking about. And I can tell by several blank stares, I'll need to go through this again later. (laughs) However, let the record show, I know I'm right about this. And if you go read it for what it actually says, you will see what Jesus was saying. How many of you can access the kingdom of God at will? Let me ask this differently. Maybe you didn't understand the question. How many of you can access the kingdom of God at will? Do you know that's the absolute right and privilege of every believer? If you were born again. This is so good. I'm going to leave you maybe with more questions than answers, but we'll get there later. Now, Matthew 11:12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. How many of you are familiar with that verse? That's a little strange verse. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Well, when you say the violent take it by force, it means men, women who are eager, who have an impetuous zeal, who grasp the idea and reality of the kingdom of heaven, its peace, its pardon, and its blessedness. Now, you know, Jesus said another time, for the kingdom of God does not come by observation. Did he mean you can't see it? Yes or no? He said, it doesn't come by observation. Did he mean you cannot see it? Come on, commit yourself. Be right, be wrong, but be in. Yes or no? What did he mean? Did he mean you couldn't see it? No. What did he mean? He meant that you don't walk in the reality of the kingdom of God being a passive participant. It does not come by observation. Why do we not see more of the kingdom reality in the church? Because there are a bunch of people that are passive about it. They don't hunger and thirst. They don't have a burning zeal. They're not violent. What if when you get to heaven, the Lord says, hey, come here, I want to show you something. And he takes you into this room, and there a new house, new cars. And then there are these boxes, and box number one said, all the people you could have gotten healed. Box number two, all the people you could have gotten saved. Box number three, all of the nations you could have been involved in changing.
there was nary an amen after I made those points. But what am, what am I saying? Every single thing we need, and this should really bother us, every thing, single thing we need for life, health, peace, and godliness has already been provided for us and is currently either in our possession by faith or available to us by faith, deposited in the kingdom of heaven. And if we don't have it, we need to ask ourselves why. You with me? We need to ask ourselves why. And if your answer is because somebody else didn't do something for you or did do something against you, you're missing the whole point. The kingdom of God suffers violence. What does it mean? It means it can be affected by enthusiastic energy. And who lays hold of it? Enthusiastic, energetic people of vision and faith. I like I like the uh, the prayer um, Don Don Hardestown were talking about this the other day. That there's several aspects of prayer we don't pay much attention to. One of them is the widow woman and the unjust judge, and the other one was the person who needed bread for a visitor, and he went to a friend's house, and the friend wouldn't get out of bed to give it to him. What did those two praying needy people do? They shouted and hollered till they got results. They, Don ought to be, I'm getting Don up here one of these moments to let you understand the idea is shameless. They were shameless. I have developed a new method of prayer about some of my aches and pains. Would you like a demonstration? Lord, you said, I could access healing and that it was provided for me already in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But my knee hurts. It's hurt a long time. And you said you're a God who does not lie. What's the deal? What's up? That's what you said. That's what you said. I wasn't even alive when you made that promise. That's what you said. You said it. I didn't say it. I didn't make it up. I found it in an authorized translation of the red letters. You said it. I want it. I want it now. I'm not going to stop bothering you till you let me have what I want. Robin, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'm not. I'm not. He he said he didn't lie, right? He said it was impossible for him to lie. Everybody on bed. And then he said, by his stripes, I was healed, right? Well, that's what he said. It's what. <laughs> Let the record show us what you said. And you cannot lie. Now. Lord, there's either something wrong with you or something wrong with me. And if there's something wrong with me, you need to help change it. Because I don't know how to do this any differently than I'm doing it now. And I know you love me. Heal my knee. Heal my back. Release the anointing. Release the power. Short circuit my brain. Get my confession right. Whatever. Whatever. A woman got something from an unjust judge this way, Lord, and you're a just judge. Come on. Come on. Is that okay? Just is. Now. You know, the thing, too, about the kingdom is is you're going to discover two things. You will value the kingdom as much as you value Jesus. Say that with me. 
You value the kingdom as much as you value Jesus. And then let me say this. This is tweet worthy. You will value Jesus as much as you know how much he values you. And see, if I could come up with any single statement to describe how the kingdom is released, it's that when you value the kingdom and you value Jesus, you do it because you know he values you. And there's something that begins to break loose in your life that we can call the kingdom of God. But you can't do that without Jesus. You can't do that without an encounter with Jesus. Going to church gets you like nowhere if you don't have an encounter with Jesus. I just, I want to be on record again. Lord, I love you. I'm not upset with you. I love you. I'm just trying a new tactic to get some more stuff. (laughs) He likes it when you're honest too. Did you know that? (laughs) No, I'll tell you, I, I just... I have some of the most ridiculous communications from the Lord. Who wants to hear ridiculous communication I have from the Lord? That It's awesome. Two nights ago, I was looking at a straw dispenser. This is the vision I had. I was looking at a, a straw dispenser, but it wasn't even a dispenser. It was a cup with straws in it like at Jason's Deli. It doesn't dispense. You pick it out of it. But I'm looking at it, and the Lord was saying it was a straw dispenser. So I'm going, I'm good with that. And the Lord was saying, this straw dispenser is perfectly satisfied because it's fulfilling its God-given purpose. And then I realized... In my own life, many, in the last about five years, many of my personal spiritual ambitions have diminished. But they weren't necessarily good ambitions. They were, some of them were selfish ambitions. How many of you have had these yearnings? You have these yearnings, these unfulfilled yearnings. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're terrible. You want to be somebody you're not. You want to go somewhere you're not. You don't want to be where you are. You want to be invited in whatever realm you're in to participate at the highest level. You want to do it well. Me, I want to be a great preacher. I want to, you know, I want to be associated with certain powerful people or important people in whatever realm. Well, so much of that in my life has just, it's just diminished because it's a torment. How many of you understand some of that stuff just torments? And so the Lord shows me this little cup with straws in it. And he says, this cup is perfectly satisfied. How many of you would you like to find yourself in a state of perfect satisfaction? He said, it's simply fulfilling its purpose. And I was laying in bed. How many of you have traveled on planes a bunch? How does it make your back feel? Bad. Knees, bad. Ankles, bad. Disposition, worse than your knees. (laughs) Right. Well, I was doing that for better part of eight years, traveling to compensate for my salary in the church as we built the church. And so I was constantly having to find a place to go preach, constantly on a plane, off a plane. And so when I saw that cup dispenser, I was laying in bed, and I thought, I'm so happy to be here. I I said, Jesus, you're so good. I'm just happy to be here. I'm just here with you. I mean, Donna's over here too, but she doesn't know what's going on, but. I'm just here with you, and I'm happy. I don't want to, please hear this, folks. This is a possibility. I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be anybody else. I don't want to do anything else. 
I'm just happy. I'm just happy to be here. How many of you want that? That's what he offers us. It's called satisfaction with your purpose. You do your purpose, you should be satisfied. So I'm going to pray. Let me pray. You know, they're, they're, um, they're good ambitions. I'm not preaching against ambitions this morning. But then there are those ambitions that torment you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to ask the Lord to remove those. How many of you want this? Why don't we stand up? Let's just pray through this. This is so important. Because that is, that is not a manifestation of this kingdom we're talking about. The kingdom of God is not yearning for unfulfilled dreams. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, Father, I'm asking for all of us that, that those yearnings that are oppressive, that are afflicting, Father, we ask you to take them now. Lord, we ask that you would refine our ambitions, that they would be the things you have put in our hearts because if you have given us those things, you will surely cause them to pass. Let's yes our way into the answer to that prayer. Yes. Let's yes our way in there. Come on, wiggle around and yes a little bit. Amen. Yes. 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 I'm all for this, Lord. I'm all for terminal happiness at every juncture in my life because of my connectedness to you. Yes. 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 Turn to somebody and say yes. Yes. Okay, you can sit down. Let's keep going here. Everybody okay? All right. Yes, yes. This kingdom is a kingdom of power. Luke 9, 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal, (coughs) excuse me, to heal the sick. It's a kingdom of power. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. If you saw Jesus cast a demon out of somebody, would you actually see that? Yes, if you were there, surely you would. So just to make it another point, when Jesus said the kingdom does not come by observation, he didn't mean you couldn't observe someone functioning out of that realm. It's just you cannot be passive. You need to be aggressive. Now, Matthew nineteen twenty three and 24. Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that personal riches, and I think we can see that, how many people do you know that are rich in intelligence, that are rich in artistic achievement? See, it's not just about having money. What Jesus is saying here is that it is virtually impossible for a person to enter into this kingdom because of what they themselves bring to the table. Actually, this is very interesting. In um, Brian Simmons' Passion Translation, that word camel is actually an Aramaic word, the word gamla, and it's a homonym. How many of you know what a homonym is? A homonym is a word that means two entirely different things, like bark. What do dogs do? What do trees have on them? How do you spell what a dog does? B-A-R-K. How do you spell tree bark? B-A-R-K. That's a homonym. Well, this is a homonym. That word translated camel is a homonym for rope. So you could read this. It's easy for a rope to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is riches, personal ability never enters into the equation. It's whether or not you've been born again. 
It's whether or not God has initiated something in your life that makes you eligible to perceive and access the realm of the kingdom of heaven. That's really good, Robin. Thank you. Now, I want to read um, out of Matthew 13. I really like this uh, Brian Simmons Passion Translation. How many of you read that, ever read the Passion Translation? Wave at me. I want to see. I want to see. Yeah, he's going to be here the first Sunday in May. We have a Bible translator who actually has a Bible that's been printed from his translation coming to the church. And he's a Holy Ghost guy. It ought to be very interesting to see what happens. Matthew 13, 44. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Okay, you're familiar with this. This is the uh, parable of the guy that bought the field. (laughs) Everybody with me? Okay, scratch your head and look this way one more time. Thank you. All right. That was very, I like that, but never mind. Okay. I want to read it again because I want us to hear what this says. The kingdom of heaven or heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there were, there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again because of uncovering such treasure. He was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Now, some of the most accepted interpretations of this parable is that Jesus is the treasure. But Jesus taught in verse 38, verse 38 it says, the field is the world. So Jesus gives us the translation of what the field is here. The field is the world. So, Jesus taught that the field is the world. The allegory breaks down for a, for a believer doesn't sell all he has, that's works, and then buy the world to find Jesus, the treasure. It's more plausible to view the hidden treasure as a symbol of you and I. Jesus is the man who sold all that he owned. This, this is so important. Jesus is the man who did what? He sold everything he had. Let's say that about Jesus. Jesus is the man who sold everything he had. What did Jesus have? He was heir of all creation. That's what he gambled. You think you've given up something. You just need to put that back in your pocket and keep walking. You and no matter how seriously we've suffered, it does not even measure up. No matter how much we've given, it does not even measure up. Now, I'm not saying that to put you down. I'm saying that to see what he did. And the attitude, how many of you have... Um, serve the Lord with madness. In other words, you didn't serve the Lord with gladness. You, and then you felt pretty good because at least you did it, right? Come on, right? Well, at least you did it. And I think that's good. I think you, 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 you weren't operating at a very high level, but by golly, you got the job done. But you had a bad attitude. Anybody know anything about bad? You had a sorry attitude. You were, you know, why should I do this and Billy Bob doesn't have to do it or blah, 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 woe is me, blah, blah, blah. No. What was Jesus' attitude as he sold 
everything he owned to buy this field that had a treasure in it. He was overjoyed. Now, I have been overjoyed on several occasions when I bought new cars. Right? Why? Look what I was getting. I was, oh, oh, no, new cars. My wife, I was overjoyed when she said yes. Why? Look what I got. I said, Dad, should I marry this woman? He said, well, son, let me explain how this works. You make your choices and you take your chances. No problem there. Look at what I got. I was overjoyed. I can remember the day we got married, September the 11th, 19-something. <laughs> 1976. And all the other things that came shortly thereafter. It was not an agonizing moment in the whole. I was overjoyed with what I had obtained. Well, that is the attitude Jesus had when he sold everything he owned to buy a field that had a hidden treasure in it, and that treasure is you. That treasure is you. See, I said, um, you don't appreciate the kingdom unless you appreciate what Jesus did. You don't appreciate Jesus until you know how he feels about you. He was over... Think about the times I've, you know, you've served the Lord. You're really sort of put out. You wish you had a better shake, you know. You have a bad attitude. And, but then Jesus comes and does this with an awesome attitude. And it wasn't just because he was expressing divinity. He knew what he was getting. You. He knew what he was getting. You. You're the treasure. It's interesting. He found a treasure in a field, and what does the Bible say he did the minute he found it? He hid it. Guess where he hid you when he found you? In himself. He hid you in himself. You became part of him after he paid that price. Why would, why would he find this treasure and then hide it again? He didn't want somebody else to find it before he could pay for it. Why? Because it was you. He treasured you. He valued you. Now, there's another, there's another, um, little parable that comes right after that, but this is so good. I like this. Heaven's kingdom realm is experienced when we realize what a great price Jesus places on us. For he gave his sacred blood for us. When we value the king, we begin to understand and appreciate the kingdom. I want to say this one more time. We begin to experience the kingdom of God when we realize how valuable Jesus is and how valuable we are to him and, and how valuable others, others are as well. i tell you this. The older I get, the more I like people for their sake. See, growing up, you like people for your sake. What do you mean? Well, if I'm friends with him, he can do this for me. Everybody needs a really sorry friend that, that you're just going to stand by no matter what. That's friendship, right? Come on. You may be that old sorry friend, but, you know, I don't know. Everybody needs that. Why do you like that person? I've had people come to me and say, I don't know why you, you like this person. I say, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, but look at the stuff he does. I know, it's terrible, right? But he's a friend of mine. Well, look what he believes. I know, I know, I heard him. Guess what? He's a friend of mine. Everybody needs a friend like that or be a friend like that. Don't you want somebody that loves you that way? Well, you got that. That's who Jesus is. We're all sorry. 
but we're his sorry treasure. Now we're, come on, you know what I'm saying? He has seen something within us of value. Listen, when Jesus paid for us, he did not cause us by his payment to become valuable. He revealed our value. He revealed our value. Now, let me get to this next one. I'm all wired up here and happy about it. Heaven's kingdom realm is also, uh, let me say Matthew 13, 45. Heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. What's he looking for? Rare pearls. When he discovered one, very precious, an exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. Now, these two parables are back-to-back, but they say the same thing, don't they? Why would Jesus say the same thing twice? Well, he's saying something Similar but different. First of all, I think he's saying it twice because he wants us to get it. But here, this jewel merchant was in search of. Let's say in search of. In search of. He was in search of something rare. That was of value. Are you getting the point here? Who is he talking about? Yeah. He's talking about you. He ain't talking about us. You said us. I get it. He's, no, why don't we say me? Me. Let's say he's talking about me. Forget you. He got you in the earlier parable. This is my parable. He's talking about me. A rare, rare, exquisite pearl. That's who I am. I'm exquisite, and I am rare. I am not well done. I am not medium rare. I am rare. No. You know what? But see, one time the Lord said to me early in the morning, how many of you hear that still, small communication before you can wake up and mess it up? I sort of how that works. <laughs> one morning the Lord said to me in that, not audible, but just my communicative methodology that happens. He said, each one of my children is my own personal favorite. I'm, I am not only, now I'm not talking, you know, this is, you got, you got to apply this, but I am not only a exquisite, precious, rare pearl. I, Robin McMillan, am God's personal favorite. But he said, each one of us are his own. Do you feel that way? Most of, honestly, I think most of us don't think about that. Have you, could you imagine you were really God's favorite person? Could you imagine? I said, well, Lord, um, there are a lot of people that aren't my own personal favorites. I don't have the capacity. Because it's really, it's not a desire issue. It's a capacity issue, right? Well, God has this unlimited capacity to see each individual person as rare, exquisite, and valuable. I'm just going over this and over this until people get it. You are, and and he was in search of, in search of. God has been in search of you because he sees you as rare, valuable, exquisite. I like that. I like that. What did he give because he found that? Everything. Everything. We, we don't understand how much God loves us. Actually, um, Jesus said, I think in John 15, I don't know if I can find it, John 15, 16, or 17, he said, we need to nourish 
We need to nourish God's love for us. Nourish it. You might, here it is, John fifteen nine. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Let me tell you what goes on with most people. Most people live under some kind of a barrage of criticism and sense of not being able to measure up. That is not the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. That's your adversary. That's your enemy. Because Jesus says the opposite. He says, you must continually let, say let, permit it. Let yourself be loved. Let my love nourish your hearts. So the one thing I saw too about pearls Pearls are the only naturally made precious gems. I guess everybody knows how pearls made. Um, it has to do with an irritant inside an oyster. <laughs> God calls us pearls. How are pearls made? They're made by the reaction of an oyster, oyster to an irritant. Now you understand why you're irritated. It's because the Lord knows that's part of your developmental process and that to becoming that pearl that he knows you are, right? Come on. Come on. So he picks a pearl. Didn't pick a diamond. Didn't pick a ruby. It was a pearl, a pearl of great choice. And here's what pearls speak to me of. They speak of suffering. It's the only precious jewel It's not actually a rock. It comes from the irritant as as it it can either be sand or it can be like a micro, some kind of a microbe inside the oyster. And to relieve the irritation, they produce this substance called nacre, N-A-C-R-E. And the more of it they produce, the more the pearl forms and develops. How many of you are aware that suffering is an aspect, number one, of life, number two, of being a Christian? And the challenge of walking in the kingdom is learning how to embrace the Lord in your suffering. And see, here's here's the most remarkable thing. The Lord pictures us as pearls, which is that which comes out of a certain form of suffering. And so what does he do to obtain us? He suffers for the suffering. That's what he does. But he knows how, okay, the suffering on the cross is one thing, but then there was the suffering of coming out of an unlimited dimension of having owned and possessed and created all things into a limited dimension of where he had to be like everybody else as far as the challenges and the difficulties and how hot it was and how hungry he was and how difficult it was to do this and that. But what he did was he bought through a level of suffering we do not reasonably comprehend because it is so far beyond our ability to know what actually transpired when Jesus died on our behalf. We don't understand the agony. Agony, Don got this the other night. And he was sharing it with, with me. Agony is mentioned one time in the New Testament, and it's in Luke twenty-two forty-four. It's the agony of Jesus. And the point is, no human suffering has ever compared or could be called agony in comparison to the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was connected to the price Jesus paid joyfully for treasure, and that treasure is you. You and I. Does that make sense?
So, the sufferer. You know, I've, I've talked to people who've gone through terrible things. And, and actually, every world philosophy wrestles with one, one similar thing, this idea of suffering. And I have talked to people, well, I don't, even, I don't even elaborate on the different aspects of it, who have suffered terribly. And it was my job to try to comfort them. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't give them a magic potion or a, a verse. I wanted to. All I could do is be there. All I could do is be there. And as I prayed about that, and I have over the years, the only thing I can understand is when Jesus doesn't answer why about suffering, it's because he did this. He came and participated. He came and suffered. But his suffering Our suffering can never be compared to his because we do not understand the depth of the price he paid, what it cost him personally, how he felt. How would it feel to become the sins of the world? How would it feel to be separated from your father when that was your very life source, your only tether back into that realm you joyfully left. I don't even know how to put it into words. All I know is this. God loves you. Jesus doesn't just want to be your Lord. He wants to be your friend. He really does. He wants to befriend you. So I've gone a little bit long. But having enjoyed every minute of it, I don't feel that bad about it. (laughs) Everybody okay? All right. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Let's stand up and we'll pray. And um, Stephen, I know we have ministry teams. Anyone likes prayer for healing or health or maybe encouragement, prophetic ministry. If you'll come over here right after the service, we'll be glad to pray for you. So, Father, thank you so much for this great kingdom. Thank you for the king. Lord, communicate to us the heart you have. Lord, we want to know your love, not the theology of it alone, the reality of it. Lord, make it real to us. Show us how we can nourish ourselves in your love. Show us how we can abide in your love. Lord, release to us the reality that we're your favorite person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, have a great weekend. rest of it is almost over. Have a great next week.